we're down to what we call a sprint finish at the end of an Ironman. Who goes high? Who goes low? Ben Hoffman for the win. At this point, he's off, and Magnus is hurting. This is what you talked about. The mind is willing. The body says no, and it's Hoffman broken the elastic today. Ben Hoffman making the final right, accelerating. Ouch. This is what we waited for. Magnus broken, but so close. And now we get to turn it to the finish shoot. Ben Hoffman, well played. And I tell you what, folks, that does not feel good to the body, but it sure feels good to the heart. Ben Hoffman, your champion today. Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just concluded a wonderful conversation with a longtime friend and one of the world's most remarkable athletes, Ben Hoffman. And uh, in this episode, we really dissect his race um, the past few weeks at the Texas Ironman, and he basically... Oh, wow. It's just really special. You don't want to miss this one. The way he just breaks it down, what he was thinking, what it was going through and and everything about it. I think whether you watch the race, whether you know the results or anything, the way he illustrates this is just so entertaining. And I actually learned a lot from it on just the champion's mindset. Um, And I think you will too. So, So make sure you listen to this episode. It really is special. Ben just speaks with such eloquence that I truly enjoy these conversations. They just get so much out of them. So I really appreciate his time coming on board, especially when he's got two very young kids and he's trying to train and everything else. I really appreciate him doing that. You can ask Ben questions on any question. He's over there. He's answered quite a few already. You can go over to any question and listen to answers and ask experts across multiple channels now, um, including strength training and swimming, biking, running, triathlon. There's also a health channel there. Plenty more channels coming, so go check it out. I I think you're going to really enjoy what you see. Um, It's free for the first hour, or if you're a triathlete, we do have a free code going on that is called TRI2022. Go put that in and it'll be free until October 27th, the whole app. So go check it out. I hope you enjoy this one. And until next time, remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I am joined by an Ironman legend. He's had a second and two-fourths at the Kona Ironman World Championships, and he's had eight Ironman victories, seven Ironman, 70.3 wins. And when he's not winning, he's always on the podium. In this past month, he had an incredible victory at Ironman Texas with a seven-hour 57 and a two-hour 40 marathon, and then backed it up two weeks later with a top 10 at the Ironman St. George World Championships. Absolutely extraordinary. He was last on the show in episode 46, way back in November of 2020. And if you haven't listened to that one, please go check it out. It's an absolute cracker. But for now, it's an honor and privilege to have him join me again. So welcome and thanks for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show, Ben Hoffman. How are you, mate? Oh, great, Greg. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while and uh, man, I got to say, I needed that, I think. Um, you know, that little, yeah, ego, ego pump there. Um, I always <laughs> love coming on, if, if for nothing else than to hear, hear you build me up like that. <laughs> it's always good to be reminded of uh, of the Palmeiras, I guess, you know, and uh, I think sometimes as top level athletes, we're always focused on what's next and you kind of 
rarely give yourself credit, right, for what you've done um, and take a deep breath and look back at all. So thank you for that. You're, you're, you're more than welcome. And there is something really to that, isn't it? Just to sometimes just sit and go, I have ticked, a f- I have done okay. Like it's, I don't think there's anything wrong. You don't need to dwell on it, but I think it's nice sometimes to reflect and go, wow, I have had a career. And, and so for me, when I get this opportunity to have someone like yourself on this show and just be able to read back some of what you've done, I feel like it's a tremendous privilege for me to be able to do that because I don't think we all give those kind of pats on the back enough. And I, for one, am all about recognition and understand that. So, mate, it's really great to have you on. Where, where are you actually calling me from? Yeah, so I'm down in Tucson, Arizona still, which is our, our main home now and uh, has been for a little while. Um, yeah, it used to just be kind of a winter training base for me and then it sort of evolved into our more full-time home, although we will be leaving relatively soon to, yeah, get out of some of the, the crazy summertime temperatures. We, we weathered last winter, or sorry, last summer was our first full summer here. And it was, we got super fortunate, actually, there's kind of almost record setting monsoons, and it kept it, you know, pretty reasonable. I don't see that happening again this summer. And, you know, we just aren't mentally as prepared, I don't think this time around. So we're going to pop out for a couple months, and then we'll be back in August for some heat training before Kona. When you say hot, what are we talking about? What does it get to in Tucson? Yeah, so I mean, the highest temperatures, uh, which are actually probably coming up in June, will be anywhere from 115 to 117 peak. I mean, it's drier in June. You do get the monsoons and it, and it kicks up the humidity a little bit in uh, July, August, September. But yeah, one 115, yeah. And then, you know, a real consistent streak of 110 to 112, which, yeah, just kind of beats you down, you know, day after day. So, yeah. Let me translate hot. that for people in Celsius. Uh, we're basically 115, I've just typed in, is 46 Celsius. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's a dry heat though, right? Don't they say it's a dry heat? <laughs> At 46 degrees, it doesn't matter what kind of heat uh, it is. Mate, it doesn't matter when it's that hot. You don't care anymore. You're just absolutely getting roasted out there. Yeah, uh, I yeah. will say you, know, you can get out early in the morning and get some training in. And, you know, if you're done by 9.30, 10 o'clock, you're usually okay. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's pretty brutal. And it's really just the cumulative, right? I mean, and you can do a few days of it, but when it when it's weeks and, and then into months, that's when it starts to really get you get you beat down. Oh, Brent. So you're heading back up to Colorado. Is that the plan? It is. Yeah. So we'll be back on the, the front range in Boulder, which we're quite familiar with, you know, and, uh, have yeah. called a training base as well for, for many years. And yeah, looking forward to that. I think it'll be a good little, uh, break from the heat and just kind of a little bit of a reset too. Um, I love Colorado. I grew up in Western Colorado. So yeah, we'll reconnect with some athletes up there, do some training, um, hit a few races. And then, like I said, we'll be back in, in early August to hit the Mm. the heat training here for Kona and drink some of Tio and Rini's wine. <laughs> that could happen. Yeah. Um, I don't drink nearly as much as I used to actually not, not much at all anymore. No. Um, just a very rare occasion, but yeah. yeah. Um, I would like to celebrate Tio's return to racing. It was really cool to see that yeah. the other day. Awesome. Um, good. You know, he's a good friend and I, I sent him a text right after the race and I was like, it's great to see you back in the game. And you know, I know it was a pretty, pretty rough go there with the heart attack and everything that followed. But yeah, I mean, you know, unsurprisingly, he, he showed that he still got a fair bit of fight in him and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he does in Des Moines here in a couple of weeks. I know it's it's amazing. That was a big scare, um, and and yeah, big shout out to Timothy O'Donnell, To for 
The journey back, mate. Absolutely fantastic. Now, are you just in resting mode now, mate? You've had a busy, that was a busy few weeks, back-to-back Ironmans with only one weekend off in between. Are you just legs up now or how much rest are you giving yourself? Yeah, not exactly this time. Um, you know, I, I had sort of played with the idea of shutting it down immediately after St. George and then I, I had the invite to escape from Alcatraz, which is June 5th. And I, I just couldn't pass it up. Um, <laughs> it's one of those races where, you know, even, even though I've never had a great, great performance there and been in contention for the win, I finished fourth last year and I love the race, man. It's yeah. just one of those races that puts a smile on your face. And, uh, you know, I think there's nothing quite like it on the circuit. Right. So, uh, when the opportunity came up, uh, I, t- I took it and, so yeah, I've been trying to kind of tick over a little bit more intensity, a little less volume, um, and just kind of do what feels good too. You know, I think listen to the body, listen to the mind and not put a ton of stress on things, but, um, but yeah, I would like to go into it and, and have a solid day. Uh, mm. so yeah, that's kind of next on the schedule. Then, um, this is also a brand new development, which <laughs> will keep the ball rolling for another week, you know, after Alcatraz, but I'm going to go and do something which I've never done before. And I'm going to do some guiding for a visually impaired athlete and a paratriathlete um, over in France. And uh, I'm really excited about that. So, um, you know, hopefully it'll be something that goes really well and that I really enjoy and that I, you know, connect with the athlete and, and then will become something maybe I do more regularly moving forward. But really excited about that opportunity. And uh, that'll be the following week after Alcatraz. So I'm kind of stacking up another little busy uh, couple of weeks. But after that, I can take a breath and just kind of relax a little bit. I love that you're doing the guiding thing. Well, firstly, before we get into that, escape from Alcatraz is almost like a bucket list. Everybody should have that. Everybody should try that. If you're a triathlete, go check it out. It is one of the all-time races to go do. Um, but, mate, the guiding, how did that come about? That's really cool. You know, it was kind of a little bit random, but my my coach, Ryan Bolton, is, mm-hmm. you know, pretty intimately involved with the high performance side of things at USA triathlon. And he just kind of threw it at me just kind of threw this, you know, little idea into my mind a, a few months back. And he was like, would you ever have any interest in doing this? And I said, you know, that sounds really cool because in 2023, I was sort of planning to do some different things, some fun races, some bucket list things. And yeah, maybe, you know, a little gravel racing, whatever. And when he said that, I was like, oh, this sounds perfect, you know? And and he said, well, there's a kid that's, you know, at the, yeah, you know, at the training center in Colorado Springs and he's been racing well and he's young and he has metal potential for Paris. And, mm. um, and I think you guys would connect and, and, you know, probably enjoy doing some racing together. Yeah. So as it turns out, I'm maybe moving the timeline up a little bit, um, just to kind of test the waters, but yeah, just, you know, it sounded really cool to me. I think as I get older, yeah. one of the things that I'm interested in is giving back a little bit. Right. And, you know, we spend so much, so much time being really self-involved and that's really necessary for high performance, but with younger kids now and just, you know, getting a little bit older and having a different perspective, I think I'd like to, yeah, give back a little bit more and maybe share, you know, what I've learned and what I've accumulated knowledge wise and, and otherwise too, with, with, uh, you know, other people in the space. And this is a great opportunity to do it. So have you guys trained together at all yet, or is this a trial by fire? You're just jumping into a race. It's really more of the latter this time around. And uh, <laughs> I'm hoping as I travel up to Colorado to connect with him in mm. the springs and, and hopefully do a training session or two um, before we would be you know, flying to Europe together the following week, basically. Um, so it's going to be, it's a pretty tight timeline. It's not maybe how I would normally approach things, but I do think 
Um, it's a good opportunity. This is the race that worked out. He's, he's racing the following weekend as well in Spain and has a guide already for that one. So he needed somebody in, in France. And I, and I said, you know, I can probably make this work. And so I have a little bit of learning to do, man, some studying uh, oh, to exciting. figure out, you know, yeah, what's required exactly. But I, I love this stuff. I mean, I think you do too, right? It's oh. kind of one of the things that you really appreciate about, you know, the sport and just life in general is the the little nuggets and the things that you pick up along the way that you can apply and really actually being kind of a beginner again, you know, and maybe not being an expert at things. That's mm-hmm. kind of the magical space that you get into where you really have to pay attention, be more mindful and, uh, and just kind of, I don't know, put your ego aside, you know, and just really try to learn as much as you can. I, I love that you, you, you brought up the fact, you know, having your kids kind of changes your perspective on things. Let me lean into that a little bit because I think that's really cool. And I kind of wanted to ask you that today. So I'm glad you kind of brought it up that, you know, now that you're a father of two, um, you know, we were just talking off show, just pre-show there, you know, two and a half and 14 months. So your hands are full. There's a lot going on. It's probably been a, a fair bit for both you and Kelsey to take on and manage the business side of things and your training and performance. But your perspective on the way that you're approaching your training and racing, how has that changed since you've had these two little ones? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing for me is just, I feel like it's probably just, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more relaxed. And that doesn't mean that I, I don't take what I'm doing really seriously or that I don't care or something like that. But I, I think it just, with children, your results in a race, you know, and, and maybe how much you kind of hung yourself worth on that, you realize how much it pales in comparison to just being a good role model, role model and parent for, for a child and just mm. being there and loving them and caring for them. And that becomes your primary job. And so, yeah, for me, I think it's just given me the space to be a little bit more relaxed about how I, you know, respond to training sessions or, you know, maybe a, a mediocre result in a race and, um, and just puts it in that kind of perspective. And I, and that said, I mean, it also heightens things a little bit too, because <laughs> I do want to set a good example and I want to show them that, you know, it's important to work hard and to care about your work and the quality of the work that you do. But, you know, at the end of the day, they love me no matter what. And so I think that kind of, yeah, it just sort of creates this space and liberates me a little bit to be what I think is probably a better version of myself as an athlete in person. And so, yeah, I still feel like I have space to improve, you know, before I'm done with my career. And and I would attribute at least some of that to, to being a father. I think there's, that's really cool. I was actually speaking yesterday to a, a mental performance coach and he was sort of telling me that one of the key things he does is really just tries to get an athlete to understand who they are as a person outside of the sport. And I think being a parent, you quickly realize who you are outside of sport. You know, like you said, being a husband and a father and and everything else, you know that there's more to it than just the job. So then that gives you the freedom when you're in the sport to go play. I think that I'm probably bastardizing everything he told me, but basically that's what he was getting <laughs> at. And, and I think you've just sort of leaned in on it. So you've just reinforced what I've heard yesterday. Um, so it's really cool. So l- let's shift gear a little bit. And I want to talk about this Ironman Texas race that you had only a few weeks ago. Actually, let's just do this. Can you just take me through that race? Start with, you know, your feelings going into it. Um, were you confident? Were you, was there trepidation? What was it? Because it's been a few years since you last win. What, what year was you won South Africa? It was your last win, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So 
that would have been April of 2019. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I, you know, I came close in Florida mm-hmm. end of the year, 2019, mm-hmm. just didn't quite have enough, uh, real estate left to catch Joe Skipper there. And that was how my 2019 season ended after a fourth in Kona, which was, you know, for sure one of my better races out there as mm-hmm. well. And then the pandemic hit and, uh, you know, we went through some, some weird times and, you know, I, I maybe didn't do the best job navigating that in hindsight, but you know, we had two kids and, yeah, it was just a weird time like that, you know, for everybody. I feel like the races were a little bit inconsistent and I had a couple setbacks too. Uh, 2021, I wasn't a hundred percent healthy and perfect that way. So even my performance in Chattanooga, even though it was, you know, only a third place, mm. I was pretty happy about it. All things considered, I had kind of a, a bumpy road leading into that one. So, uh, fast forward to the beginning of this year. Um, I wouldn't say I was like in a flow state for, you know, um, January and February. It was a little bit of a grind actually. I thought, okay, uh, this is usually, you know, a little bit easier. Um, but it was, it was kind of tough going and it took me a while to really get traction and get over the hump. And then when I did in March, you know, it really started to click a little bit. And I realized that I was getting pretty fit and I'd always kind of wanted to try this, this double experiment of doing two, two weeks apart. I had done the two in Kona 19 and Florida three Mm. weeks after, Mm. and that had gone pretty well for me. Um, I actually felt like in some ways that I was better in Florida I'm a pretty, I guess I would say a volume responder when it comes to training and I, I, ha- I handle the load pretty well. I mean, as I get older, it's more difficult maybe sometimes to, you know, I can't, I can't do it as consistently through the year. I can still handle pretty big training. Um, but I would say it's maybe just smaller pockets of being able to do it now. Anyway, I kind of decided that this was the moment and I have to be honest with you. I, I fought the idea of St. George a little bit you know, through the, really from the time they mentioned it and all the way up into the race. And so, and what I mean by that is that I was really excited for the opportunity to do uh, a big race like that and to do a a quote unquote world championships, you know, to have that opportunity to race for the, for the prize money, for the accolades, you know, for just the chance to go head to head with some of the best guys in the world. Mm. But even with my history there, you know, even with the excitement and the energy that built around it, uh, I never fully got there. And so I almost kind of needed a little bit of a distraction for myself too, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Texas sort of provided that. And and yeah, it was a really kind of a last minute decision in some ways. I mean, I was throwing it around and bouncing it off, you know, my coach for a while, maybe a few weeks before we finally made the call. But basically what I, you know, posed to him was I said, look, if we shift gears and I decide to do Ironman Texas, when is the point when you would change my training, you know? And he kind of looked at the calendar and he was like, about 10 days out is when we would decide to either continue pushing with the level of training that we're doing for St. George, or we would make a call to start modifying a few things to focus, you know, a little bit more intensity and back off volume for you to get ready for Texas. Mm. And so on the Thursday, 10 days out or so from the race, we, <laughs> you know, made the call basically. Wow. And I said, I'm, I'm ready to go. I feel good about this. My head's in a good place. I'm excited about the prospect. Um, I feel like it could potentially give me a mental and maybe a physical boost as well, uh, leading into St. George. And so Kelsey booked all the stuff. It was really expensive because it was all last minute. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt like, okay, well that's another little, you know, impetus, I guess, to, to go make it count. And, uh, and, and she really did. She kind of, you know, she printed out the document for me. It was like literally a spreadsheet of like, okay, get on the flight, get the rental car, go here, do this, do this, do this. You know, everything was mapped out. And she actually flew in the day before the race was there for 24 hours and then flew home on Saturday night after the race. So 
she was there for the critical stuff right around the race. Um, but with kids now we have to kind of, you know, pick and choose our battles. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it all kind of, you know, came together at the last minute. And I have to say, even though I had a terrible race or a pretty bad race in, in Texas in 2015, um, where I blew up in the, in the marathon and had a bloody nose and groveled my way to eighth place. I think I, uh, I felt strangely like excited to, to race there this time. Mm. And I felt, you know, a, a really good vibe when I landed. So yeah, the head was in a good place. And, uh, and then as far as the race went, man, I mean, I didn't have the best swim and actually all three races I've done this year, I feel like my swim has been a little bit off and that's, you know, um, something that I'm definitely taking a hard look at right now because I don't feel like I'm swimming poorly in training, but I just haven't translated in racing and I need to be there. I mean, I have to be there. It's, it's obvious, you know, a championship racing, you have to be further up than I've been. So yeah, I kind of had a mediocre swim, um, got beat up a little bit in the water, but on the bike, you know, we were a pretty big group for about 40 miles. And then I just said, I told myself, no matter what, I'm coming here for a hard, hard day. I'm going to make it hard. And I was like, if I have to drag this group of guys around, then that's what it's going to be. But I'm going to commit to trying to break it apart, go alone and, and at least walk away from this with a really hard effort. Cause that's how I would train anyway at home. If I was just focused on St. George, I would do a really big weekend, two weeks out. So I just started pushing the pace on the bike, broke away, finally caught up to Jesper Svensson, who was by himself, you know, and we kind of rolled in together. Um, I was quite surprised to see Magnus. Um, he had had that sort of, you know, I didn't know what had happened at that point. Um, but he had kind of a unfortunate, you know, seven or eight minute, uh, stop on the side of the road with a, with a slash to a sidewall and a big flat on his bike. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of surprised, you know, was surprised to see him. I didn't know at that point. I just thought, oh, maybe he kind of blew up and, um, he's going to struggle, but got onto the run and just kind of did my thing, man. I felt really good right away, you know, settled into a good pace. Um, I wasn't too, too worried about the guys up the road. I mean, they were both, uh, strong athletes, but you know, Richard Varga is more known for his ITU career. And mm-hmm. I figured, well, there's a decent chance that if I run my race, I can probably get my way up, you know, somewhere near the front. So I just kept it steady. And I was always aware that <laughs> Magnus was never, he just never really went away. I mean, I passed him. I took the time in transition, you know, to really get myself ready. And so I lost a little bit to those guys and had to bridge up and pass him. So that took a little while. And as soon as I passed him, he just kind of stayed there. He was about 30 seconds behind. And once I assumed the lead about halfway through, you know, I remember my question to Kelsey was, I just said, give me the data behind me now. You know, is somebody running like 240 or 230 pace? You know, I need to know if like Mm -hmm. Cody Beals is running crazy fast or, you know, what's going on. She's like, nothing is really going on, but Magnus is there. (laughs) <laughs> and it was like, what? you know, what? and I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, he's still there. Like he's like 20, 30 seconds behind. Like he's just, you know, and he was just there. Mm-hmm. And after about 18 miles, I kind of realized so 30 K or so I was like, he's still there. You know, I can feel just a little bit of like a hunger knock coming on. So I was like, I need to get a little more sugar in, slow down, take stock here and let him catch me. And I said, you know, I'll let him catch me and I'll be ready to go. Just like, you know, Maca was with Ray Alert and Kona. And, <laughs> and so he, he got up to me and I was like, okay, here we go. And, you know, he actually, I think, attacked me first. Did you say anything when he caught up no, to you? No, 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 no not at all. Not yeah. At all. Okay. It, it was just kind of, you know, we were just sort of both in the moment and mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. I think, you know, trying to suss it out, see if we could notice anything about each other, mm-hmm. um, any weaknesses or anything like that. And, uh, you know, and, and he actually put in a surge, which I covered. And then, um, I put in one, which he covered. He put in another one. I covered it. Yeah, I put in another one. He covered it. And at that point, 
I, I kind of was like, okay, we're going, we're going to the line now. Like this is the way it's going to be. And yeah, you know, I, and I just started mentally preparing for kind of the finale there. And this is where I think everyone's a little bit different, but I, my mindset was immediately to start thinking as positively and eliminate any negativity possible. I mean, I was very clear with myself. I said, number one, I said, there's no way you're losing today. That was the first thing I said to myself. I was like, I'm, I'm going to win. That's just, that's the only option. So whatever that takes, whatever is required to do that, it's going to happen. And, and the other option doesn't exist. And, you know, that was, that was step one. And so, yeah, after that, I thought to myself, okay, well, what do I know about this course? What do I want to do, you know, to make my move? How's it going to look? And I had raced in 2015. And even though I didn't have a good race, I remembered the course really well. And, you know, I had obviously looked around a little bit again on this trip. And so I knew the finishing, uh, you know, area pretty well. And basically there's a, there's a hard 90 degree turn to the right mm -hmm. and it takes you down a hill a few hundred meters. Then you do a 180 degree turn and you come up a real gradual hill to the finish line, mm. another couple hundred meters. And I basically told myself, I said, I need to be at the bottom 180 in the lead. And if I get to the bottom 180 in the lead, I'm going to win this race no matter what. Like it's happening, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say this too, and, and maybe Magnus will listen to this, but I looked over and he was wearing those alpha flies, the Nikes that are extra tall. Mm. And I just thought to myself, and I'm wearing the vapor flies or the next percent that are a little bit less tall. And I just said, there's no way he can take that bottom corner at speed without being <laughs> super wobbly. I love that. And I yeah. That. And so... I just knew I was like, there's no way he can, you know, he's not a really big guy. He's a taller guy than me, but you know, he's not a huge guy, but he, mm. um, I just knew with his height and with those shoes, there was just no way that he could take a corner like that at speed. And so, yeah, when we got, you know, I actually slowed the pace a little bit and I could tell it was frustrating him too, which was another kind of tactic I used. I mean, we would have ran for sure in the two thirties, like maybe two thirty eight, maybe lower, even if I wouldn't have just, I just started totally slow playing it. Um, just to get the heart rate down a little bit and get a little bit more calories in. And I could tell it was frustrating him because, you know, he was the whole race up until that point, you know, through 22 miles or so, he had been running whatever pace, you know, and that was a little bit slower. And, and to me, I was almost kind of thinking also like give him a little bit more time out here on his legs because he's never done an Ironman and he's starting to feel that piano on his back. And it's probably one of those things where he's starting to wonder, Like, can I do this? And, you know, I've never felt this kind of pain or this kind of sensation before. And I want him to have as much possible time to deal with that, you know? And so we were out there running like seven minute pace after running whatever, six fifteens for, you know, yeah. 20 miles before that or more. And so, yeah, I could tell he was getting a little bit frustrated and he tried to pick it up a little bit a couple of times, but then eventually I think he kind of just realized too, that we were going to line. And then, yeah, with about, you know, whatever it was, four or 500 meters to go, I took that first 90. And in hindsight, I mean, I didn't know until I watched the video afterwards, but he crumbled kind of instantly, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as I got up on my toes and went, he didn't have their speed to respond. But I went to that bottom corner flat out and even <laughs> off the bottom corner flat out. <laughs> and I just assumed, I assumed he was on my shoulder. That's just the way, you know, yeah. the way I approached it. I said, he's right there. I've got to go all the way to the line. So I literally sprinted to the line and um, and never really knew exactly where he was until, yeah, you know, I looked at everything later on. Um, uh, but it was, it was pretty exciting, man. And it was, you know, a, a really big rush, especially to come back and get a win, like you said, after a few years and just to prove to myself and, and hopefully a few others as well that I've still got, you know, the game to be competitive at that distance. And, 
yeah, it was, it was a really, really special day. Mate, you just described that so well. I felt it. I could see it. It was just extraordinary. I love how you owned, <laughs> you owned the negative self-talk early and, and you committed to the win. You went all in. And then it was like, once you'd made that decision, it was like, okay, now let's get to the specifics of making that happen. And it became very detail orientated. And that's been one of the true joys of this show is having these conversations and having guys like yourself step through a win and what actually happened. Uh, there was one, I think you were like Hamish Carter when he was on and, you know, he won the 2004 Olympic games. Uh-huh. And, you know, we talked about that kind of process and ex- exactly how you described it. It was very analytical, very calculative of what's going to happen. What am I doing? What very, just looking internally at the function of it. There was no, Oh, can I win? Wouldn't it be nice to win? It was like, no, (laughs) that, that, that that negative self-talk was owned early, put away, get the job done. And that I just think is just truly inspiring stuff. And for everybody listening, there's, for me, there's just so much learning in that, not just in sport, but the way we approach life. It's just kind of like get rid of that self-talk, own it. Now, how do I go about achieving it? And um, I also just want to, on that, give a big shout out to Mag- Magnus Ditlev, as I sure you, you do. Yep. Um, love that guy. I know he does listen to the show and I am excited to have him on one of these days. So Magnus, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on. <laughs> and I believe that was his first Ironman. Am I, am I right in saying that? It was, yeah. And I mean, and full credit, I mean, that was the first thing I said when I crossed the line too. I mean, I I feel bad for the the mishap, you know, of, of the flat that he had. I mean, I think he got a little bit of criticism from people as if he didn't know how to fix a flat or whatever it was. And the reality was that he had, he had one of those flats that, okay. you know, it, it's not a simple fix, right? I mean, basically he needed a, a new tire on there and that's what happened. And that's why it took so long. And so I think on paper, there's no question. I mean, he, he would have likely won the race or at least had, you know, a great up, even a better opportunity potentially to win it had he not had that happen. So I, I can recognize that element of it for sure. But yeah, he's got a bright future, man. And I think he's going to be tough. You know, I, uh, I think for the guys that are you know, a little bit younger, closer to his age now, you know, he's going to be one to watch and they're probably going to have some pretty epic battles with him um, because he's, he's one of the guys that just does the work you can tell, right? I mean, he's got a great mindset. And, and on that note too, there's one other little thing that happened in the race, which I feel a little conflicted about this one. Um, but I think it's worth bringing up because maybe you have some insight about it too, or what your perspective might be. But um, there was a point when we ran through an aid station, I want to say it was around mile 22 or so, and they, it was called Hippie Hollow. Uh, maybe you've heard of this place, but there's a, there's a group of people that bang on trash cans and they're just out there all day with wigs on, you know, and they're just having a great time. <laughs> and uh, on the first lap I went through and they were trying to get me to hit this bongo drum. And, you know, I was kind of doing my typical thing where I was like, I'm just doing my race and, you know, I, I can't be distracted by this right now. And I, I you know, I try not to show too much emotion or, or, you know, give too much away or celebrate early for sure. Right. Because mm. you just don't know in an Ironman what might happen to your body or mm. yeah, anything really what other athletes might do. And so it's a, you know, it's really one of those things that you kind of wait till the line, but on that last lap, I, you know, the guy <laughs> came up with a bongo drum and I just had this thought to myself where I was like, you know, I'm really grateful for these people being out here cheering for us. It's a hot day. Um, they've been out here just giving tons of energy and I'm going to hit the bongo drum, you know, give him some love. And so I hit the bongo drum and he was so stoked. And, you know, it kind of gave me a little bit of a lift too, but 
you know, it, again, it was kind of counter to my usual strategy of not celebrating till, till the end. And I didn't necessarily mean it exactly like that. You know, it was more just like, Hey, I want to appreciate these guys yeah. and I want to maybe get some good energy out of this, take some good energy where I can get it. And then he ran up to Magnus and he said, do you want to hit it too? And Magnus said, maybe at the finish line, you know? <laughs> and I was like, that's, the right answer, but you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, at the same time, you know, uh, you know, stoicism can only get you so far sometimes. And, uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to go, go in the, you know, in the moment with the vibe that's there and, and hopefully get some energy from it. So I, yeah, I, I, that was kind of a special, special moment too. But, but, it, but back to his personality, that's the vibe that I get from him. He's very methodical. He works hard, you know, and he's not kind of that, I don't know, navel gazing, you know, chess beater, uh, guy. And I think that's going to really pay dividends in his career. I think you're going to see a lot more of them. So big shout out to Did him. it surprise yourself that you actually did grab the, did they give you like a drumstick to hit it or? Uh, uh, no, no, no. It was just with my hand. Yeah. So, and I will say on that note that a lot of times when I've raced my best and when I've had, um, you know, just kind of, yeah, good results and good training and all of it is when I've been focused on that element of gratitude, right? When I can just look around and say, I really appreciate the industry of triathlon, whether it's the sponsors that I have, the fans that are on course, my family supporting me, my training partners, all of it, the coaches, everybody that goes into making this happen, Ironman themselves with the race production. I mean, the volunteers that are out there, the list goes on and on and on. And yeah, when I can look at that and just say, I'm so grateful for these people to be out here to put the energy into it, to make it happen so that I can do this for a career, a living and enjoy these moments and, and hopefully, you know, put on a spectacle, a performance for them to enjoy as well. That was really beautifully said by, and I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think everybody listening does too, because I think that's what makes the triathlon community just so special. And, and I think the way you even put that, you know, there was a moment of thinking, I'm dying out here in the heat and it's brutal and you've got these people and you know, they're out there all oh, yeah. day, like all Till day. midnight probably. And yeah, then I mean, they're, they're, not well re- yep. they're not well hydrated. They haven't fueled, they haven't rested the days leading in. Man, yeah, tremendous gratitude. Thank you, everybody that you know, helps out at these events. Um, and I think it's good for all of us to do that ourselves from time to time. Um, you know, go volunteer, put yourself out at the worst spot <laughs> and uh, just look after them. But, mate, two weeks later, World Championships then, you know, you finished with a sprint finish, which even in a, you know, my background being more the, the shorter course, you know, if you've had to finish with a, a flat-out sprint, that can... Even if the rest of the race has been moderate, just finishing with a sprint can really can really hurt you. It can do some damage. And just curious, you know, did you pull up okay? And did you find having that win was uplifting, or did you feel like sometimes when you have that big win, there's an emotional roller coaster? Like you have this emotional high. Finally, you've won a race after three years, and you go kind of high. And then with every high, there's kind of equal and opposite low. Was there any of that going on or was it just kind of like calm, cool head and just prepare? I mean, it really was more of the latter, actually. And I, I think now, um, you know, a few weeks on from the second event, I, you know, Kelsey and I finally took a little trip to Las Vegas to watch a concert we've been wanting to see for a long time. And we finally allowed ourselves this space to kind of celebrate the effort of those you know, two weeks really, and, and really the entire spring preparing, which again was not like the easiest for either of us, you know, it was a little bit of a grind. And so, mm. yeah, but as far as immediately afterwards, I switched gears straight into like, okay, like what's next? I made this plan. I told everyone 
all my sponsors and, and myself that I'm going to do, you know, St. George and, and do it as well as I can. And, and that means recovering, you know, as well as possible from this effort. And then, you know, that next day I was on the bike and in the pool. Um, so yeah, I was, I was training straight away again. And I have to say, although I did push super hard at the very end there, the race up to that point, I would not say it was a tremendous, you know, stress for me. It didn't feel like I was overexerting or, or bearing myself. And so I think that led to me recovering better than anticipated. And even by, you know, that Tuesday following, I was riding pretty hard again and, and getting after it. So it, I felt like it gave me a lift. I feel like it was really, you know, kind of what I needed. I think it was really, you know, especially, I guess if you take everything away except the result in St. George, which I was not thrilled with, I, I didn't have any sort of real red flags or excuses or anything like that going into St. George. I actually thought that I was going to do a little bit better in St. George than I did. And I, and I think the dynamic, although we saw something kind of similar in 2019 uh, in Kona, I think I was a little surprised by the dynamic considering, you know, the race course. I thought more people would, would suffer and maybe explode a little bit on the marathon in St. George. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just leading into the race, things were going well and I felt physically quite good. Marcos, who you're quite familiar yeah, with, was Marcos there. Marcos Mejias, yeah. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was there doing massage on me every day, a couple times a day. Like my body really came around and I didn't have any, like, again, no excuses. The numbers were good. You know, I felt like I was on track and then, race day itself, I, you know, I really battled mentally to stay as positive as possible and to stay engaged and to keep chipping away and give my really, like really give my best effort. Um, and I did that and I, you know, and, and unfortunately it was 10th place again, not what I came for. If I'm a hundred percent honest with myself, I think the big limiter really wasn't maybe doing Texas two weeks prior. Although I did, I did feel like maybe I was a couple percent off on the run. And that could have just been the run course itself. I mean, it was very hard to get a rhythm there and it was a challenging run course, but I did feel like I lacked a little bit of pop, you know, like in Texas, I was like, okay, I can change gears. I feel very in control. Um, and there I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pushing up against it and it just doesn't feel like I have one more gear to give. But so that could have been Texas or it could have been a variety of factors, maybe just cause I rode pretty hard as well in St. George, but regardless, you know, uh, yeah, I didn't think that it was a real limiter or a problem necessarily. Um, I think it was more just, it was a tough day. A lot of guys raced really well. And mentally, I think a lot of guys, a lot of guys were more um, engaged with the race from the very beginning than I was. So I, I, I gotta say, I, I love the champion's mindset that you have. <laughs> and I think I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the only one listening to you talk right now, just going, you did and won an Ironman two weeks previous in seven hours, 57, with a potential, like you said, you even slowed it down in terms of tactics and so potentially a few minutes faster for the marathon that you, that you were running at. And then two weeks later, in, in my mind, if I was working with you, I'd be saying, well, yeah, there's probably going to be some mental, emotional and physical fatigue and it might only be <laughs> half a percent on each of those. But guess what? At the World Championships, those little percentages, they add up big time. 100%, and, yeah. and, you know, your, your 806 that you went in St. George was solid. But if you talk about those half percentages across the board of mental, emotional, physical, it's kind of not surprising. But I, I looked at it completely different, obviously, you know, and I think many did where it's like, wow, you know, here's a guy that's not only won two weeks before, he's finished it with a, an all-out sprint effort at the end. 
and backed up and still got top 10 in the world. Mate, so my my perception of it is a bit, bit different to yours, but I do love the champion mindset where it's like, I know there's more, I know there's more. So kudos right. to you. And I mean, if, and to be honest with you too, I mean, yeah, I really appreciate that. And and I think there's something there and, and you know, maybe, yeah, I can appreciate that it was a, a big ask and a big double to pull off, but you know, it was right to back to my original yeah. idea about it. It was, it was an experiment. I'd never done it before. Mm. Um, I was curious to try it. I thought there was a possibility that it would, you know, go really well and it went only okay. And so probably I would not do that again with something like Kona in the fall. Right. I mean, I don't even know if that would be an option. I don't think there's an Ironman two weeks before Maybe anyway. three weeks. But the three yeah. weeks option you did in 2019. <laughs> but there's also, you got to think what's the second race and what's the first race. Like if you think exactly. of Kona to Florida, Florida's a nice tempo race. You can find a rhythm yep. there. You can find, you know, whereas St. George, even when you're fresh, it's hard to find any kind of rhythm on that course. Bike and run, it's like, constantly moving and if you're slightly off it's like that just exacerbates it you know yep so i mean definitely you know lessons learned i think some takeaways and um again you know some ones that i think maybe we even discussed the last time i was on the podcast uh you know that uh the the focus for me moving forward you know into hawaii which um is for sure my main goal of the year you know i need to be i need to be further up in the swim no question about it and um you know i probably need to be a little, even a little more prepared, um, on the bike, you know, than I, than I was in, in St. George. And so, yeah, I think back, you know, some good takeaways, right. You know, I think that was kind of the warm up round for me and hopefully I can build off of it into the, into the fall because, you know, that's where, that's where my heart really is, you know, and I think hopefully where, you know, I'll be able to show my best performance of the season quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question you can either download that on your android or ios any question one word or you can head on over to anyquestion.com forward slash bhoffmanracing.com and you can sign in that way and remember to use code try 2022 and get free until october 27th you've been so consistent at Kona. It is a course that obviously suits you. You mentioned earlier, you know, working with Ryan Bolton and his training. He's known for some pretty, you know, big training volume, you know, yourself and Sam Long are with him um, and you both sort of handle that volume. G- give us an idea of, you know, has that changed much for you? You know, now you're 38, you've been with him for quite a while is that volume now in you that you, you don't have to do maybe as much as you used to, or are you able to handle more? So you're taking on more sort of volume. Yeah, I, I would say it's more of the former. I think, um, I would say no question, like run volume is down, you know, from even a couple of years ago. And, and I, and really, I think my run performances are strong or maybe even stronger. Um, so yeah, we've backed off the run mileage some and yeah, I, I would say overall volume is down a little bit actually for me. I need to do more of the things that I don't sort of naturally want to do. Um, so, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, it's probably more of the, you know, the double swims and, you know, doing VO two work on the bike, which is, I I wouldn't say it's exactly a weakness, but you know, it's something I can certainly improve. And I think will ultimately pay dividends for me, um, even in Ironman racing. Yeah. And then, you know, definitely the run, the run workouts are just, you know, overall, they're just, it's higher quality than I ever did before without him. And then, um, you know, that, that quality is still there. Although, you know, depending on the cycle and where I'm at, 
you know, they, I think I've had more heroic workouts and probably faster paces in some workouts, but I don't necessarily believe that I'm a better or that I was a better marathoner, Ironman marathoner back then. So, you know, it's really just sort of about, yeah, navigating what will put me in the optimal place for racing, you know, not necessarily what looks good on paper with training, um, because I've definitely been a victim of that in the past. So it's, it's interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see how you guys work these next few years, you know, that those late thirties into your early forties, there is a slight change that happens in the sense of more the positive. I think it's more, the work is truly there, but you do need, do need maybe a little bit more time to freshen up and dare I say, doing an Ironman two weeks apart, I'm probably, but it's kind of uh, the one thing that I probably learned in my early forties, at least maybe is kind of like, I don't probably have to do those, you know, hard 20 mile runs that I was doing every Tuesday. It's kind of like that kind of work starts to be in you that you can probably back up a little bit, but it'd be just interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys manage this sort of next few years, because I actually think they're really powerful years if you get it right and potentially less big races in one year but the ones that you do hit can be exceptional so i'm excited for you on that on that front for sure how how has your team sort of changed in the last 18 months is anything you know you're still with ryan and kelsey's still managing everything for you know she's been such a big part of the team that you guys have is incredible the way you guys work together you know you mentioned marcos mejias have the sponsors stuck by you yeah, they really have. I mean, you know, we, we feel extremely fortunate that way. And on the sponsorship side, I would yeah quickly give a shout out to Ronnie Shilconnect, who um, has been also a piece of that. You know, I think Kelsey does the, the vast majority. Uh, we keep kind of in-house, but he's also part of the team there. And then, you know, I have a physiotherapist that um, recently moved up to the Phoenix area, but he's still around a lot. And, you know, he kind of writes my strength program and does whatever I need in terms of dry needling and things like that. Um, and Sam Rockwater. And so he's a big part of the team. And then, yeah, I mean, the sponsors have been really incredible actually. And, you know, I think it was nice for me to get that win in Texas again and and to have a strong performance in St. George as well, just to kind of remind them that, yeah, after a little bit quieter period during the pandemic that, uh, you know, I still got what it takes to be competitive at the highest level, which I think is, you know, it's not everything to these people, you know, that support me, but I think it's still an important metric, right. And something that kind of keeps you relevant and, Mm. And maybe uh, adds a little bit of weight to to what you say and what you do on and off the bike. So, yeah, but we've been just so fortunate. And, uh, yeah, really, I mean, I'm really proud, you know, of the team that we have that way. Mm. Uh, just incredible, incredible sponsors that have, and most of them have been really long-term, so. Thinking about triathlon and, you know, being 38, you, you've achieved so much with numerous, like I mentioned earlier, your Ironman wins. And when you win, you you really do win in a spectacular fashion. Is it winning Kona still, you know, that that the big goal? And, and I guess on that, you know, what do you think of how's Kona 2022 going to pan out? What, what would you say with the information we have today, being that we're only in, what are we, end of May, you know, how do you think Kona is going to play out? Is it one that you're going there to win? Is it going that, you know, what, what is it? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really great question. And I think the way I would answer it is what I really want to do is I want to give myself an opportunity, you know, to, to be in the mix for the win. I want to be as close to, or yeah, you know, in that position where Mm -hmm. I have an opportunity at least one more time, you know, that's kind of my mindset. And so 
as much as I know certain athletes, you know, and, and great athletes, like maybe, and I can't speak for him, but maybe somebody like Jan Fredino would, you know, see it as a sign of weakness if you weren't just immediately saying like, oh yeah, I'm going there for the win. You know, it's all about the win, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I would love to win. I think it would be tremendous. I mean, it would be a lifelong dream and really, really awesome. But I, I think more than that, I just want to, after a couple of years away from the island, which will actually be three years by the time we're finally back there in October, mm-hmm. I just really want to go there in physically amazing peak shape and mentally as well and, uh, and execute a race that just, yeah, gets the very best out of myself on the day. And um, if I do that, then I think I can walk away kind of in peace, right? And I think also if I do that, then it'll hopefully do the sort of the other thing I mentioned, which is put me in a position to have an opportunity to race for the top spots there. I think I saw a, a post that Sebi put up after St. George because I think he kind of walked away a little bit, a little downtrodden maybe, you know, like a little bit surprised by what happened there and his, you know, his performance, what it netted him. I think he sort of downgraded his expectations a little bit, at least on social media by saying, you know, I, I, I still believe I can get a top five in Kona. Mm. And I saw that and I was like, yeah, I, I definitely believe that about him. And, um, and I believe that about myself, but I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that yet. Like I'm not, you know, I, I still would love to be in contention to win. And I think if I have the day that's, you know, required the very special, maybe career best day that aligns with that race and a whole other multitude of factors, maybe a couple other people don't have those days, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, maybe, yeah, when is possible. And that's still what I want to dream of, at least for this year. And so that's what we're going to do is try to, you know, build everything from this point forward uh, towards that, that day in, in October the 8th. And, and looking at that, that race, let's think about it. How do you think it's going to play out? Because I, I actually think it could be a bit like St. George in the sense we could lose half of the big players before we even get there. And, and, and a lot of that, and I don't mean that's not true. Obviously right. it wasn't half, but we lost, we lost a couple of the big names. Certainly, yeah. And those same guys might be coming, the ones that were out this one might be coming back firing all cylinders, but we might lose another group that um, overcook it. And, and I think what often happens is when you have so many people that could win a race, right, Everybody starts believing they can win that race and then everybody starts pushing as though they're going to win that race. And when you, when you push and you look over the edge a little too far, that's often what happens, right? It, it, suddenly you're out, whether that be sickness or injury, you know. So it's kind of thinking that's the first part, I guess, you know, of how this race could play out. It's actually before you, you just got to get to the start line is like one sense of achievement. <laughs> um, and then after that, I mean, 2019 showed us the first time that really a swim group actually broke and, and stayed away. Um, normally the, the, the bike packs come together completely, but 2019, they stayed away. Tim O'Donnell, Alistair Brownlee, Jan Fredino. You think that's potentially going to happen again or do you think everybody's going to amp their swimming up and, you know, it's going to be closer together on the bike? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, well... I know I'm speculating lot, here, but <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you have to, right. I yeah, mean, it's yeah. cause that's what it is. It's all it, at this point, it's all speculative and, and it's, and it's fun to do and it's important to do it and, and imagine the different scenarios. But I, yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely possible. I think, yeah, one thing that you kind of touched on maybe, but didn't maybe finish exactly my thought about it is that I think there are going to be some guys that in St. George that had good races that are going to believe that that translates to Kona and it's not going to. And I don't mean that as like an attack on anybody, but I do think that, you know, it's a special race that requires a special set of skills and 
and probably a little bit more, you know, time spent there studying the race and, and understanding it and experiencing it. At least that's what I, you know, my experience has been in most people, I think. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that that's possible too, that in addition to the guys that may fall prior to the race, you know, knock on wood, that doesn't me because it's been me before. And, and, we, and we don't want anyway. that for anybody. We're not wishing that upon yeah, anybody, yeah. by the way. But, I just want to <laughs> right, right, yeah. that. No, of course. I mean, yeah. I never do. And, no, I, and no. I would have loved to see, yes. even if it meant that I finished a few spots lower, no. I would have loved to see Alistair and yes. Jan yeah. and a bunch of other guys, including Sam, who had an injury, unfortunately, before, you know, the race in, in St. George, Sam Long. I would have liked to see a lot of other guys, you know, at, at top, I guess, yeah, top shape and, and, and mm. racing there. So hopefully we see that in Kona, but I do think that, yes, it's quite possible um, that a similar dynamic would happen. And I think that, you know, every time that something like this happens, whether it's a St. George race or in Kona 2019, it kind of adds fuel to that fire where maybe more people believe that that's what's required and will push for it. Right. Mm. Um, because it's work, because it's worked before in the relatively recent past and, and, and people are going to try to try to be there. So, but what I'll say is that, like, you know, what I expected to happen in St. George that really didn't happen um, with more explosions on the marathon, I think we'll still see those um, in Kona. Yeah, and, um, and I'm not going to bank my entire race on that. You know, I'd like to be further up, as I mentioned, in the swim and, and potentially be, you know, a little more controlled and powerful on the bike. But I do think that, yeah, if I, if I do those things over the next few months, um, you know, I can be in a position again to, to work my way up, especially on the marathon and, uh, and contend for the top spots. So I think it's going to be, you know, guys are going to push for it. No question. Mm. You know, the level, the level of the bike, especially is just wild now. I mean, um, you know, I've been improving actually. Um, it doesn't maybe look like it on paper, but I've been improving. It's just that I think that more guys have been improving at a, at a faster rate or at a higher level, you know, when it comes to the bike, especially. Wow. So yeah, 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 that's definitely, a, you know, an interesting, you know, new development where the paces are just you're all faster across so the board. Fast. You're all getting faster and faster and faster. And it blows my mind across all distances in the sport. And it's, you know, it's like we, performances we never saw 15 years ago, right? Actually on that, let's, what have you sort of seen, you know, you've been in the sport a while, is it 15, 16, 17 years now? Yeah. You know, what, what have been some of the big changes in the sport that you've seen in your career, the, the good and the bad? What, the, the, what have you noticed that's been a bit different than when you first started? Yeah, well, I think most people now, I think I actually had this conversation and you and I were chatting a little bit before we you know, started recording, but, um, you know, the dynamic of training in terms of the, the group situation, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak to ITU. I think there's still a lot of groups that, that train in ITU, but, you know, we used to go to the pool and we'd swim the same sets, right. With, mm-hmm. you know, Dave or Wolfgang or whomever. And, uh, and we'd, we'd meet up and go for rides right after we'd say, Oh, what are you doing today? Oh, you're going to, you're riding five hours. I'm like at four, but I'll turn back earlier. You got intervals. Okay. Or they're eight minutes, mine are 10. Yeah. We'll just find a middle ground or, you know, I'll do some of yours. I'll do some of mine. And it was pretty relaxed and we had maybe a little bit more fun and definitely you had your days, right. That you were doing your own thing. And, but I think it was more social and people were just kind of more flexible that way. And now it's much more high performance, maybe in the sense of like, everybody's got their plan. They've got their coach, they got their details, they got their workouts and everything is prescribed according to training stress scores. And, you know, you've got to be hitting the numbers in every session and all the other things. And so it's kind of made it a little less social in some ways, I think. Mm. And I think that's one thing I've noticed, but in terms of the performance side, no question, power meters have been a big thing, right? I mean, those came onto the scene in a big way, 
Mm. let's call it 10 or 12 years ago, maybe. And that really changed the game. I think in terms of people having access to information that improved their cycling, they got the feedback they needed in order to do the structure training in order to improve. And, uh, I guess in terms of other changes, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, the, the running side, right. I mean, everybody has improved pretty rapidly in the last five years, even. And, and you see this with Olympic cycles. I, I actually tend to believe pretty strongly in that dynamic of ITU athletes. You know, they're, you know, they're sort of the super breed of triathlete and they, their skill development is so good. They're so good across the board when it comes to the, the swimming, the biking and the running, their form is incredible. And that's really what you need. You know, you need the fundamentals and you can build, I guess, sort of the endurance off the back of that speed and, and that skill set. But if you don't have it to begin with, it's a tough road. Mm. And every time there's an Olympic cycle, you see a whole crop of athletes kind of coming across and, and we're in that place now where, you know, I ran my 236 in Florida at the end of 2019. And now Christian's running 238 on a really tough course and 235 or whatever it was in Cozumel. And, you know, it's like, that's just becoming normal to go sub 240 now for a marathon in Ironman. It's going to be required in order to be competitive. It's amazing. That's like a 10 minute yeah. jump too, you know, it's like exactly. most, yep. most of the time races were won in the high 240s, to be honest. And um, right. to see that, that's a big jump. It's, it's interesting you mentioned about it becoming far more specific um, and it's almost like you seem to hear athletes talk about their teams where they have a coach and a physiologist, you know, it's like you've got these two roles now of within your team, which we never had. It was kind of you might have a coach or you, you, or you were self-coached. You might look at SRM numbers, but they were kind of all over the place in terms of power meters. <laughs> and you'd use your Garmin from time to time to measure out a course. But everything was a little bit more wingier and it was all this like more is better and, you know, mental toughness was a word. Now it's like well-being is important you know athletes talking about sleep and nutrition and you know building their relationships and team there's a lot more of that well-being that i think's coming to play um add that with the physiology and, and the data that people are collecting these are massive improvements in the last 10 to 15 years that we never considered um and if anything if you consider them they're almost weakness <laughs> you know and it's, now it's like you know it's <laughs> yeah, like that's a good point yeah like, and one thing one thing that you just made me think of too is i've been watching kind of catching up on the the latest whatever formula one you know netflix series oh, drive and to survive love that show drive yeah. to survive yeah i mean we were a little behind just because yeah. uh, whatever life training kids, kids etc we don't watch a lot of tv <laughs> yeah. anymore so Same. um I'm, we're catching up on the most recent one i'm sure there's a lot of people out there going what what you haven't watched the re right. what, you're not through it yet yeah. um but so we're catching up to that and i just and i just kind of was thinking about you know which we all do um how triathlon is just it's a relatively new sport right still i mean we're yeah. talking 70s for the yeah. 1970s it's not that long ago mm -hmm. it's seeing advancements through time right i mean any time that you put money and energy into a sport and continue the development of it from the ITU level from the junior level you know iron kids whatever all the way down to to young kids and it becomes more embedded in the culture you're going to see improvements across the board guys and and girls that are doing this from a younger age they're getting you know there's mm -hmm. just more knowledge accumulated, right? I mean, you have access to so much more now. Decades and decades of coaches who have been doing it, trying different things. And, you know, we're seeing the feedback over the span of careers that these athletes have had and what's worked and what hasn't. So, yeah, it just gets more and more dialed in. And I think that's just, you know, it's kind of the natural curve and trend mm -hmm. is to see, you know, the speeds increase. And there's no question. I mean, all you have to do is go look at, 
you know, Torsten's try rating site and the number of sub eight Ironman performances now, it's just, it's like every weekend, right? I mean, I know your 757 a few weeks ago would have been off the chart, <laughs> everybody talking about it. And now it's just kind of like, oh yeah, he won. Oh, yeah. 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 757. Uh, okay. Yeah. He probably should have gone faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was he was he was sloughing off the last ten kilometers yeah, yeah. with Magnus. It was windy on the bike, guys. It was windy on the bike. But, <laughs> See, uh, now you're making excuses yeah, yeah. at a seven fifty seven. Nobody was doing <laughs> well, that. Well you've got to when the oh. when the standard seven twenty five now or whatever with Jan and, and the Norwegian. So yeah, um, and you know, and and probably soon to be yeah. sub seven with sub this project, seven. which will be pretty cool to watch. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so to that. Do do we know if Alistair's is he ready for that? Is he healthy and everything? I wasn't sure. I, know I really me. don't know the yeah. inner, yeah, inner workings of that circle, but I, I would say yes, I would, I would think so. I mean, it looked like he put in a really good training block in uh, oh, cool. Blackstaff, awesome. and I, and I feel like you know he obviously didn't race St. George due to, I guess, a little bit of sickness. But I think you know he mentioned pretty quickly after that that he was like, okay, I'm turning my attention to the sub seven. You know, we're going to try to really hit it, and it looks like. The team component is a big one in that one, right? And it yeah. looks like Alistair's team is really They've dialed good. in. They've so, really yeah. dialed in, haven't they? Yeah, no, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. That's I think that's June 6th, is that right? June, around that time. They haven't picked an exact day. They're doing it like the sub two for the marathon, yeah. right, where they're just going to wait exactly. for the conditions. Oh, I'm excited for them. I hope that, firstly, I, I, I love, you know, that they're giving this a go. The, the whole team behind it, Chris McCormack and all the way through, it's great for the sport. I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm mad about our sport and I love it and I love all the, the high performers and I'm a bit of a groupie. And so, you know, to see these kind of events, I get excited about. So it's really cool. I'll be fun to watch. Hey, do you want to finish with some rapid fire questions? Just some quick fun Let's, ones. Yeah. hundred percent. Let's do all it. Right, yeah. Let's do it. These are, let's check your fast twitch fiber, which I've already seen by the way, this last, you know, I didn't realize you were a sprinter. I think I hit, I think I hit something like four thirty-five mile pace on that last sprint in Texas, which I mean, for an Ironman that's guy, insane. that's not terrible. It's insane. I yeah, mean, was so. that on the downhill or the uphill part? Yeah, let's, let's move on to these rapid fire questions. <laughs> Still, mate, that's really fast running. I'm impressed. All right, here we go. Best and worst subject at school? Uh, probably best at English, worst at mathematics. Really? That's very yeah. surprising. I, I mean, I wasn't terrible. I was pretty good at everything, like in terms of, you know, my final whatever GPA was close to 4.0 in high school and college too. But, um, but my natural tendency is towards language and not really, um, towards the, the science mathematics side. Although I'm, I do love it. You know, I just, I wouldn't say it's natural. Gotcha. For me. Gotcha. You've got to work out a bit more. I find, I find a lot of the endurance athletes, math comes quickly, you know, it's uh-huh. like, we're always, <laughs> we're always going through the data in our heads. Um, anyway, move on. Uh, what are you currently reading or watching? I think you just said drive to survive, but what are you about yep. reading? You know, I actually just finished another surf book. Mm. Um, yeah, I just kind of find that these these uh, these books, you know, they I don't know what it is. Maybe it just kind of like puts me in a different frame of mind, or maybe it's just more of like a perspective about uh, yeah, just kind of like life in general. But um, I, I went back and reread Barbarian Days, um, which I think is something that everyone should take a look at. It just kind of goes through um, you know this guy's life as a surfer and it's it's again it kind of speaks to like the bigger bigger picture of yeah just life and and riding the wave man the wave that we're on called life and yeah making the most of it it's going straight to my audible account um all right first car you owned 
Nissan Stanza, 1980-something Nissan Stanza. It was really nothing special. But I think my parents were looking for a car that they were like, oh, if he crashes this, at least it's not going to cost you know, a ton of money to fix. Plus, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, to be honest. I was actually telling the story yeah. to somebody the other day where it was like, I remember, I mean, my parents are fine. You know, they're they're retired now. And, you know, I had a great childhood. I had all, everything I needed, you know? Um, And I, and I grew up in America, which already is a blessing, I think, you know, for most people. But yeah, point is that, you know, I remember my friends having like Abercrombie and Fitch and Tommy Hilfiger, and we were going to Mervyn's, you know, for my clothes for the first day of school. And, uh, but yeah, we had a Nissan Stanza in high school. That was my first car. Well, your parents have done a great job with you, mate. And, and, and look, I think every kid's first car should be some kind of a beater, a bit of a bomb, because it's just, it's a, <laughs> it's a better story. Who wants to hear that your first car was, was a Merc or a BMW? I'm like, oh, please. Anyway, yeah. two most used apps on your phone at the moment. Uh, I'm like everyone. I spend too much time on Instagram probably. And then uh, the other one would be, well, I mean, I, I need to get back to it a little bit more, but you know, you're part of this, the Any Question app, which I think everyone should check out. It's pretty awesome. Um, a lot of information, like I was just saying, I mean, that's kind of the future, right? Like yeah, we've got to have access to good information and that's full of it. So some great running has just launched this last week or two and just having Meb Kofleski, Michael Johnson from the nineties, you know, they're on there. Um, Dina Castor, Gail Devers, just some of the greatest runners of the last 20, 30 years. It's pretty cool, actually. Michael Johnson just answered one of my questions and it was like, it was a real like magical moment for me. You know, it was like, because the 90s with him winning, you know, the, the golden spikes in Atlanta Olympics, the 200 and 400 double. And, and now he, he's here on the app and he's answering my question. Anyway, yeah, I appreciate that, mate. And I appreciate the sell, the, the sell but it's, uh, it is a really fantastic app and it is growing. So very cool. Yeah, All that's right. cool. And I mean, I feel like the knowledge on there too, right? It's kind of like, it is timeless stuff, especially when you've got the best performers across all these different disciplines, right? I mean, what they're saying is so applicable. It doesn't matter that we're in a new generation now and maybe athletes are a tiny bit faster in certain sports, but like it's more just that bigger picture stuff, right? That we can all apply to our daily lives, whether we're pursuing athletics or, you know, just trying to be the best CEO or a father or whatever it is. And yeah, it's just cool to cool to hear, you know, everyone's perspective and the lessons they've learned. And we do have, at the moment we have about 40 of the world's best triathletes yourself included on there um actually just just lee month um just spoke to her yesterday and she's coming oh, on the cool. app to answer questions and um we're giving the triathletes a bit of a, a a bonus here we launched with triathlon at the end of october last year and and we did launch at a too high a price and that was you know we, we misjudged it obviously and so we're basically giving out a free code for all the triathletes out there, try 2022. So you can go use Ben oh, cool. Hoffman's name, you know, go to, um, I think your name is, if you go to anyquestion.com forward slash B Hoffman racing. Um, and then just go check it out and you can put in that code try 2022 and it's free, f- free until I think we've got it until October 27th. And we have lowered the price um, down to five bucks a month and 50 bucks a year. And that gives you access to the entire platform. At the moment, we have about 200 experts across about seven different channels and those channels are growing quickly. Um, Photography and surfing, you just mentioned surfing, they're coming soon. We've got a few lined up already and some big name surfers and, and that kind of thing that have all jumped on board and they're excited about it. And then we've got scholars we got scholars, all the MIT and Harvard cool. professors coming on, which is going to be really exciting when that one comes out. So anyway, yes, it's all happening. And it's very exciting. And really, we're, we're keeping the bar very, very high for who can be an expert in any given field. And obviously, you make it. Um, so let's move on. 
this is meant to be rapid fire. Sorry, everybody. We got stuck on, <laughs> stuck on any question. There. <laughs> All right. What time of day are you most productive? Uh, for me, it's early in the morning and I don't even know if I'm a normal morning person, like by default, but I've developed into one. So I, uh, I get up, I usually do a workout straight away, right after coffee, of course. And, uh, and I feel like my mind just operates better early in the morning. Mm. And then by the afternoon, I'm kind of ready to wind it down and shut down. So yeah. well, you're doing a good job being that this is an afternoon recording. Your mind is still pretty sharp. All right. First job. First job working for my dad. Uh, he was a building contractor and I grew up on the construction site. So pretty much all the little odd jobs, whatever I could do when I was, you know, pretty young. I mean, I, a lot of sweeping floors, mm. you know, it was kind of. Was that yeah, how you made your, made your pocket money? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of how I, <laughs> how I earned. Uh, but, but then I also worked, uh, I did work at a grocery um, up in Alaska one summer after college, my freshman year in college. And I did, I stocked produce up there and that helped, uh, that helped wow. with the grocery bill. Cause I had, I could take all the like, you know, beat up fruits and vegetables and, um, all the expired, you know, salads and stuff like that. So yeah, that was another early job for me. Alaska. Was that just to experience Alaska and you just had to pay your way? Yeah, I did. And I, and unfortunately, basically every cent I made that summer went to replacing the transmission in my truck. Cause it went out on the drive up there. And, uh, and that was also my lodging for the summer. I slept in the back of it. So that was a pretty fun experience, but met a lot of great people and it was just so beautiful living up in Haines, Alaska on the inside passage there. So check it out if you get a chance. Oh, that's awesome. I love those sort of stories. I love the segues here. I'm sorry. Um, summer or winter? Summer. Yep. Who would you want to play a movie of your life? Um, geez. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of Brad Pitt, man. I mean, I don't look anything like him. I'm not going to say that I do. Um, but I think, you know, he's got, he's got range. He's so, got range. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that you have to spell out that you don't look anything like Brad Pitt. I don't think any guy. <laughs> don't worry, ladies. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Which decade of music is the best? Mm, great question. I'm going to go, ah, I'm going to go with nineties is pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the sweet spot for me because I was, yeah, teenager then, you know, mm. I was born in 83. So late nineties, you know, that was kind of my jam. I feel like into early two thousands. Yeah. Not bad music. All right. Where is uh, somewhere you haven't been you'd like to go? I would love to spend a little bit more time in Asia just cause I feel like I don't really know it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only spent a tiny bit of time you know, on a stopovers in, in Japan. And, uh, yeah, I need to explore. There's, you know, so much of the world's population in, in Asia. And I just, I feel like I just don't know anything about it. So China, Japan, um, Thailand, you know, those areas, Vietnam, all very, very interesting to me, at least, you know, from an abstract perspective, because again, I don't know anything about it, but I'd love to go there. I can see you triathlon calendar for 2023 2024 loading <laughs> it's, up it's here <laughs> to fill up, yep. <laughs> and I, I need to get to tokyo what race is there all right let's do it um that'd be a fun year just plan a right just plan a year of racing but i mean it's hard to enjoy sometimes if you're still trying to perform that's the problem it um, is it's such a balance and especially traveling with the family it's oh, a lot to to you know oh, balance so know, you've almost got to wait till the kids get a bit bigger that's what we're doing anyway yeah. all right last one greatest movie of all time Oh, this is actually easy for me because it's happening again right now. Top Gun, man. I mean, it's a pretty good one. Um, and I, that was just like a childhood movie for me that I loved and actually thought that I was going to go to the, uh, uh, Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. That was kind of like when I was in high school, that was one of my big, um, dreams still was to fly, you know, fighter jets. And 
that was probably one of the easier, well, not easy, but that was one of the pathways to doing it. And I even went to the summer scientific seminar the summer before you actually go there as a cadet. And, uh, yeah, I ended up not doing it and I don't regret it. I mean, I feel like, you know, I've had a great life better than I could have ever dreamed doing triathlon for a living, but yeah, man, I watched Top Gun like every day when I was a young boy. So, yeah, that's, you know, Ben Knut also said the same thing. And he was so on it, just like you were. It was like you guys, two peas in a pod when it comes to Top Gun. There isn't a movie that comes <laughs> close to it. I was like, well, he's going to be on Alcatraz here in a week or so or 10 days, so I'll have to have sit that down, conversation. Sit down, get meet each other yeah. in the hotel Maybe and we say, can hey. get the new one together. That'll be kind of fun. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That, I love, by the way, I call these rapid fire questions, but why I love them is because of all these little segues. You know, it's like, I don't know. I, I enjoy it because it really helps you know, Alaska or understanding that you want to be a fire pilot. These are just, it's cool little in, in tidbits. So I appreciate, you know, going through that and maybe it not being so rapid for everybody listening, but I do enjoy it. You know, that for me is a bit of fun. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yep. Things right. you didn't know. Yeah. Things you didn't know. Well, Ben, mate, as always, this has just been fabulous. Um, and thank you again for your time. I know you've got two little ones, you've got your training, you've got everything else going on and you still, you know, put some time aside to chat to me and I really appreciate it, mate. No, it's my pleasure, man. I really always enjoy having a conversation with you and, and I love listening to the podcast. So, uh, Hopefully everyone enjoys it and, uh, and hopefully, yeah, we can have another chat down the road. Maybe something about a, you know, a top performance in Kona. Let's That's do, the next mission. Let's do it, buddy. I can't wait. And, you know, this one was fabulous in itself. But everybody for listening, thank you. Um, you can find all the show notes, timestamps and links, coupon codes and everything at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.